You're listening to Take a Look Around <laughs> with Shawnee Campion. And as always, joining me at the intersection of New Metal and Hollywood, it's the Crockett to my tubs, the tubs to my Crockett. It's Alistair B-Man Bates. How are you, Batesy? I'm great, man. Uh, I can feel it in the air tonight, and I'm feeling that it's going to be uh, quite all right. Uh, Is that the next line of the song? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is kind of like right now you're kind of like watching me drown, uh, like like the song. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> This is, it's interesting that you say you don't know where you're going with this because, Al, would you say that this is like a, an interesting choice for us to do as our second last film? Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, it's not really like necessarily like a, a new metal film, is it? it it's, it's kind of an action classic, if you will. Uh, sure, yeah, I would say it's an action classic. I would, I would also say that. <laughs> I heard it also in Disney. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's kind of not necessarily an action classic, but it's a film that's really been rehabilitated since it was released to devastatingly bad reviews back in 2006. And it's kind of like a, a dumb movie for smart guys and a smart movie for dumb guys, which is why. The person that picked this movie for us is probably the dumbest piece of shit I've ever met. <laughs> and my two smart guys. I knew this is what I was walking into. <laughs> the clown prince of bogus. It's Chris Campion. How are you, Chris? Uh, it's a pleasure to be welcomed into this this strange house that you guys have built for yourselves. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, I'm not sure if listeners know, but um, Chris and Sean used to be in a, a musical act called Multiple Man, where they played twin brothers. So if you guys are <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs, does that mean what am I in this metaphor? Am I? Oh my god! Do you ever stop talking? Shut the fuck up! I was just gonna say, like in the original Miami Vice TV show, like Don Johnson had a pet Alex that was basically in every episode that has been left out of this movie you are kind of like a pet alligator you're leathery there we go. that's what i was looking for <laughs> yeah you're a reptile chris play trailer <laughs> you afraid of violence we get down if the play calls for it bud we're here for business that's right we can close each other's eyes right now real fast then ain't nobody gonna make no money Detective Crockett, Miami-Dade PD. We got him. No one has ever tread before where we are now. We're seeing their operations from the inside. Your agency cannot know how they do whatever it is they do. Take it to the limit one more time. Things get emotional, moves get messy, moves get messy, and the wrong people die. Just to aim at you, probably aim at you. If I owe you, I'm wrong, you're the same thing. 
there's undercover and then there's which way is up. Oh, you think I'm in so deep I forgot? I never doubt you. Okay. Did you guys see this movie back in 2006? Do you remember when it came out? I mean, I remember the the the, the ads on Channel 10 pretty much nonstop. Like, they put some real money into advertising this, you know? Yeah. I remember it being a, a really big deal. Like, this was Jamie Foxx's first film after winning the Oscar for, was I want to say Ray, is it? Mm, yeah, yeah. For Ray. And so, like, there was a lot riding on this movie. Colin Farrell was probably would you say at the peak of his powers? Like this was him transitioning from like new metal roles and things like SWAT and Daredevil into what was supposed to be like a, a proper action movie. And this was Michael Mann, like his his first big film after like a, a string of smaller films, like uh, for instance, Collateral and Ali, which were, you know, not really the massive crime epics that people would expect from something like Hate. He did the Insider after uh, yeah. as well. Was this before or after Collateral? This is after Collateral. This, this is, is like two years. Fresh. Yeah, because yeah. I think Collateral and Ray came out same year, right? And he was nominated twice at the Oscars for it. No shit. The ego has landed. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, I've read that Colin Farrell checked into rehab the second filming on this movie was over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just touching on Collateral before we move on from it. I found out last year that the role that Jamie Foxx played was written for Adam Sandler. Can you imagine wow. what that movie would have been? Would have been way better. Way better. <laughs> <laughs> a lot was writing on this film. Like this was a massive production. Like uh, estimates put this at 160 million and lower estimates at 135 like there was a lot riding on this movie and it was kind of critically drubbed at the time <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh i think there's probably a good reason for this so i don't know should we talk about the plot before we talk about what we kind of think <laughs> my roommate while watching it was just like i thought this was going to be stusky and hutch and then- <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah i mean that's something to bring up during production as well how like how weird this movie is compared to like the reboots of 60s 70s and 80s tv shows that yeah like we just did five- charlie's angels exactly. on the pod last week and this could yeah. not be further removed from it jukes of hazard yeah, yeah. Hutch, all around the same time yeah so this film opens with i want to say one of my favorite opening scenes in recent memory it opens like halfway through a bar of Jay-Z and Linkin Park's collaboration on Numb Encore off the Collision Course album. And you're just like forced into the moment. Like there's, you don't get any exposition, no opening credits, nothing like that. You're just instantly within the movie. I think it's a fantastic way to open. Well, apparently there's an extended version where there's like 25 minutes before it gets in there and the studio would just like, no. Cut it. <laughs> I love that his choice to cut it, though, is like, yeah, I'm going to do it halfway through a bar, like offbeat as yeah. well. 
<laughs> I also love that like the DJ just transitions into like some really generic kind of house music straight away, like right off. <laughs> Literally Felix the house cat, like the yeah. most generic like tech house you can think of. Yeah. How do I follow this up? Oh, some kind of smooth <laughs> cut. I also like, so this is when we're introduced to our two beautiful leads, Miami-Dade police detectives, Sonny Crockett. Rico Tubbs. Uh, Played, of course, by uh, Sonny Crockett as Correct me if I'm wrong. I could never work out who was Crockett and who was Tubbs here. Uh, Colin Farrell was Crockett, am I right? Originally Don That's Johnson. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, <laughs> you don't know who Tubbs <laughs> is. Some guy. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Foxx as Tubbs. Chris, you had a fantastic story for me about the original actor who played yeah. Tubbs. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was. Uh, he was like obviously became huge off the back of Miami Vice, and like uh, I mean, th- like the article I read really plays up this idea that Johnson, Don Johnson, and him were like in this the throes of like this Beatlemania, like like there was people screaming at them on the streets and stuff like that. And he, um, the, the kind of the article I read starts it off with, um, they ask him why he thinks if he has a problem with the fact that Don Johnson was the only one nominated for an Emmy. And he's like, I'm not into awards. I'm into empire building. (laughs) (laughs) But then he went on to be coined the term, EGOT, because apparently he was into awards. He wanted to win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony in his lifetime. and um, Which would only be accomplished, that. of course, by Tracy Jordan on 30 Rock. There we go. <laughs> That's right. What is his name? I don't even remember this guy. I know Don Johnson went on to be Kenny Powers' dad. It's but... Philip Michael <laughs> Thomas, and I feel like I'm going to call him Philip Baker Hall and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson by the end of the episode. But Philip yeah, Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, all all the shit. It's an amazing article. He talks about how the reason the TV show is successful because women watch it and they fantasize about him and Don Johnson having sex with them. And men watch it because they fantasize about Don Johnson and him having sex with their girlfriends. Which is <laughs> the same thing to put in a People magazine article. Even, even though it was 1988, it's just an insane thing to say. Yeah. I think he had like 12 children by the time the TV show was up. Like, oh, hell crazy. yeah. <laughs> um, after the TV show, he did a couple of TV movies that didn't go well, and then he transitioned into becoming the face of like like late night TV, like Psychic hotline stuff oh hell yes built his own tv studio and would just like do these like i guess like cult like kind of like infomercial type stuff just swindling old ladies out of their money to like you know you know uh tell them their futures tell them their destinies tell them their fates that's sick now uh we're introduced to a few other characters along the line in this opening nightclub scene we've got herc from the wire and a very young justin thoreau hot off of being the cowboy in mulholland drive (laughs) as soon as i saw justin thoreau i was like oh shit we got a little weasel here someone's gonna fucking flip down (laughs) sell everybody out yeah he's definitely got that like i'm a piece of shit widow's peak doesn't he but not to jump ahead, but it turns out he's just like a guy who doesn't. He's got really... like five words in the movie. Yeah. You know? 
I really thought he was going to rat him out. Yeah. So the crew are interrupted very quickly in this opening sequence by a phone call from Alonzo, played by Erswell character actor. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny Powers' brother, John Hawks. So Alonzo reveals to Crockett and Tubbs that he's been forced at, at what I assume is gunpoint to give up the undercover agents he's working with, with the DEA. He's an old criminal informant of Crockett and Tubbs. They threaten his wife and children, uh, and these white nationalists are planning to kill them. Uh, They meet up with Alonzo only to find out that uh, the DEA investigation they're working on has gone horribly bad in an amazing shootout sequence, and Alonzo's family's been killed. Alonzo walks in front of a fucking Mack truck. Yeah. It's insane. It's an insane shot. It's <laughs> like you literally see the blood just spraying out the back of an 18-wheeler. Yeah. It's one of those things, they're having a conversation on a highway, and it's just like, yep, someone's going to get hit. That's yeah. the way films happen. Like, the, <laughs> like, this film has been going for like 10 minutes, maybe, maybe even five minutes at this point, but already the way it's shot is just unbelievable. Like, you know, like we go straight from a nightclub to like uh, air, to like, uh, police helicopters onto like a conversation in a Ferrari on the middle, middle of a busy highway. It it just leaps and bounds along with it, and it's it's very like startling, isn't it? Yeah, and it's all like shot on digital video, and it feels yeah. like most of the shots are just so close to their faces and grainy. Like, um, it feels uh, like TV. Like, yeah, it's like TV. <laughs> this would be one of the first major Hollywood productions to be shot on digital video by cinematographer from Brisbane, Queensland, Dion Beebe, who'd previously oh. worked with Man on Collateral, but our fans on the show would be more interested. He shot Equilibrium, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Crockett and Tubbs meet up with the DEA to reveal to him that the whole... Uh, operations gone bad uh it's all his fault that he fucked up and got the informant and the agents killed and the only way he's gonna get out of this mess is if he deputizes crockett and tubs to be dea agents to take down this whole criminal investigation however the caveat is they are deputized but they're also disavowed, so no one can know of this mission. <laughs> That's right, baby. We're going Ghost Protocol. <laughs> so you're going to say it has to be soundtracked by Audio Slave, which <laughs> yeah. uh, they pop up about seven or eight times throughout the movie, and only when that shit is happening. So uh, basically, from here on out, uh, there's like, uh, I think this is my favorite scene in the movie where they meet up with fucking Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter. Who's like this, like sniveling little like money launderer who gets mm-hmm. them in with Jose Yero, the, the drug uh, drug enforcer? And if you thought that Colin Farrell's like Irish accent was kind of coming out at the seams, watching Eddie Marzan here try and do like a Florida <laughs> accent when like the closest he's ever gotten to Florida before was probably like Scotland. It's extremely funny. He's, he he uh, sucked. He, he was he in like the thick of it or something i feel like i'd seen him in he's like a, a pretty big uh, english character actor i don't know if he's in the thick of it but he's he's definitely in harry potter <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah talking about colin farrell's accent in this is like 
fucking hilarious. Just as soon as he hits like any consonant, he just like starts the Irish. When he's like, I'm a fiend for mojitos. (laughs) (laughs) I I had like a tally of how many mojito scenes there were, and it's uh, it's five. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading. Apparently, he was he he says he just doesn't remember shooting this movie like a Matthew Perry on Friends style thing, where he was just so jacked up on painkillers and whiskey that you can tell there's like a a very noticeable change in the film where he gets highlights in his hair and i feel like he must have like rocked up to set after just like forgetting that he was on a movie he looks so hungover the whole time it is funny as well that in 2006 like he could not have looked more alien with a mullet and a mustache yeah but come 2022 he literally looks like every second person on the street now. Yeah, it is like, that's another thing I was thinking, like, you know, 80s aesthetics were kind of, I guess, becoming cool around then again, you know, with like Vice City, like in the mainstream at least, but I don't think anyone was like ready for the mullet revival just just yet. Yeah. I don't think this movie really did embrace much 80s revival, you know, uh like, the movie is all, like, mojitos and, like, it's all mojitos and post-rock. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, like, multiple Mogwai songs in there. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, kind of just depressing. It's not, like, the... Uh, all the pastels you know, have been replaced by, like, neons and, like, like dark, inky blacks. Like, I feel like, sorry, for a TV series that really, like, was probably more responsible for the 80s aesthetic than any other TV series ever was. Like, this film hates its subject material. Yeah, and it's like Michael Mann made Miami, like, the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, before it got taken over by Dick Wolf, who got rid of all the pastels, and it turned into this kind of, like, precursor to him doing Law & Order, it was, like, the same aesthetic. I always like the story um, of how uh, how Miami Vice first got started, which is Brendan Tartikoff, the guy, the NBC executive that made his name on fucking like Star Trek and shit like that, literally wrote MTV Cops on a cocktail napkin <laughs> and gave it to the guy that created Hill Street Blues and was like, just make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a very American phenomenon to like fund both sides of the drug war and then make a piece of entertainment about it with MTV cops. (laughs) (laughs) So from here on out, uh, Crockett and Tubbs are given uh, new undercover identities and they meet up uh, for the first time with Jose Yero, who is like, I don't know if you guys have seen Michael Mann's black hat. I feel no. like from no. Miami Vice like Chris onwards, Hemsworth one, right? Yeah, Crim's he- it's exactly Crim's like Hemsworth. this. <laughs> <Crim's> <laughs> uh, it's exactly like this film. Like it might as well be a sequel. They look the same, they feel the same, but both of them have just got the like dumpiest, frumpiest little like guy who works in accounting as a bad guy. Like, I feel like Jose Yero in this is the least threatening bad guy I've ever seen. He's pretty lame. He looks like Jason Manzoukas. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he, does. He, looks like, he looks like a Jason Manzoukas impersonator on yeah. Cameo. <laughs> this introduction scene with Jose Yero is great, though, where we get, like, uh, 
Jamie Foxx like pulling the pin out of a grenade and being like, we don't know, we don't know addition. Like, what comes to us? You want to employ us? It's it's I just so like good. that he had his that grenade in his pocket for God knows how long. Just like this is gonna be sick. This is gonna work. <laughs> Can you put the pin back in a grenade? Like, do you have I, to toss it? I think so. I'm going by Call of Duty like logic here. You get like five seconds with a grenade, and then it's out of there. Who's holding it for like 15 minutes? You know? <laughs> yeah, about some time you would have been like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a fake grenade. <laughs> so uh they're also introduced to uh Isabella played by uh Chinese superstar Gong Li. Now she was in fucking films by Wong Kar Wai and she's in Raise the Red Lantern and it's You know just... she's married to Jean Michel Jarre. Oh holy shit, that Isn't rocks. Crazy? I know, right? <laughs> like she's like got this absolutely like superstar career, Curse of the Golden Flower as well. And like her highest profile American production is just getting to have sex with hungover Colin Farrell while Audio <laughs> Slave plays. Like she really the sex gets to kind of uncomfortable too. They really, like, yeah. That's what I thought. In the they limousine, seem to be just like close up on their backs, just yeah. like really tight in. It's just all back. But it's yeah. like that when they're in the limousine and he's like getting under the skirt, and it's just like awkward. <laughs> like it just made my fucking skin crawl. <laughs> Do you think like the Hollywood pedophile elite like watched Miami Vice and were like? All right, sex scenes are out. We're just going to do Marvel movies from here on out. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we got a little ahead of ourselves. She very quickly um, forms a relationship with Colin Farrell because, as Chris said earlier, he's a, fiend, a fiend for, for mojitos. <laughs> Which feels like an improvisation, right? Like Colin Farrell was just like, I'm done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> This is about the time in the movie where I picked up my phone. So give me oh, two dude, seconds. I, yeah, I think, I think we all picked up our phones at the same time. Right? <laughs> hey, you, like, I, I think have it's the, very blurry for me after this too. I, I was saying to Shum before you pick, took the call that I just do not remember large parts of the plot to this film. Like it starts with the Aryan Brotherhood. And then I don't know where the Aryan Brotherhood go. That the idea that there's like an Aryan Brotherhood in like Miami, the most multicultural city like in the world, is just kind of insane to me. <laughs> it, aren't they in like Bad Boys Two as well? And that's in Florida. Surely Florida's got like wicked Ku Klux Klan. Shit, yeah, Florida right? is like I insanely mean, racist, I mean, I guess, isn't it? Like everywhere in Florida, but Miami is so multicultural. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Interesting that you, we are introduced to probably the least required character in the entire movie with the coolest name of all time, Archangel Jesus, who oh, is the yeah. head of Was the... Was that real? Yeah. Jesus. He's the head of the criminal empire that Jose Yero and Isabella are basically representing and in case yeah i guess i'll leave in that last part because this is where the film gets insanely blurry uh, smarter podcasts than ours have covered this film in like ludicrous levels of detail but this this is a confusing movie from scene to scene like i talked earlier about how it jumps from place to place really quickly well it keeps going and you we find ourselves in the dominican republic 
in Miami. We're back in uh, Haiti at some point as yeah, well. Yeah, Port Port au Prince. I have no idea where in the Caribbean I'm supposed to be in large swaths of this film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds like shooting in the Dominican Republic was why it got so expensive. Like, apparently Jamie Foxx walked off the set a bunch of times just because he was, like, insanely dangerous, you know? Yeah. They would fire off guns and then, you know, the military would turn up. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that kind of shows as well because, like, there are, like, I would say that Jamie Foxx Despite being the main second lead of the, you know, I think he was even top billed in this film, is only in it for what feels like, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie's two hour and 20 minute run time. Yeah, after after the sequence where he pulls the pin out of the grenade, he disappears for a long amount of time till the kind of the crux of the film in which his girlfriend, Trudy, is kidnapped by the uh, white nationalists who just appear out of nowhere after disappearing for about an hour or so and kidnap her and take her to a to a trailer park where the, the crew have to like engage in like a, a hostage standoff, which is probably the coolest part of the film, that hostage standoff. Yeah, there's that cool line where it's like, I'll shoot you in the Mandula on Blood Garter and you'll be dead before you fucking hit the floor or whatever it is. <laughs> Dude, spray. That's one great thing about this film, the spray. There's a lot of blood spray. So it becomes apparent uh, pretty quickly that Jose Yero has betrayed them. He's never really kind of trusted them from the get-go. He kills Archangel Jesus and takes Isabella hostage which takes us to the kind of the final gunfight of the film, which is just this like in a car park where everyone is just like firing bullets at each other. During the director's cut, this is where we first get to hear non-points in the air tonight, which (laughs) is the, the funniest choice in the film, which is just tracked by so many hilarious musical choices in this crockett reveals himself to be a so his relationship with isabella is basically completely kaput uh he puts her on a boat to miami telling her that she's basically on the run now and he can't help (laughs) her and time is luck which just sounds like just some real just drunk shit from a from him. Jamie Foxx is back in the hospital and the film just literally ends. My girlfriend said, is that it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did mine. <laughs> Turns out girls do not like Miami Vice. <laughs> Chris pointed out earlier that this film did have a truncated ending. There was originally supposed to be a final sequence in the Dominican Republic. Apparently an off-duty cop just like rocked up at the set and was like, what the fuck's going on? And pulled a gun and was shot by the military and gang members who were working as security on the film. Jamie Foxx packed up his shit and just fucking hightailed it completely nixing any chance of a finale so they just had to work with the footage they had which i mean fair enough dude (laughs) that's pretty frightening i like to imagine they just span colin farrell around (laughs) (laughs) and he just completely forgotten about all the guns being let off it's just like am i am i crockett in my tubs (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, this film uh, had a massive budget, 100, 165 uh, million by some estimates. But as we've touched on before, this was the film in which uh, Jamie Foxx was just, he literally found out he won the Oscar while shooting this. So the first thing he did was demand a pay increase that came out of Colin Farrell's pay. So Colin Farrell literally had to take a pay cut for Jamie Foxx to stay on the production, which I mean, if you want to like engender like yourself to people around you is probably like the worst possible thing you could do. On top of that, he demanded a... He's like front and center in the movie posters as well. Yeah. (laughs) He demanded a private plane and refused to like work in any future scenes that would be in cars or on boats. So he basically doomed the production from there on out. He's one of those crazy people that hates using like mass transport or something, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, th- I feel like Jamie Foxx's star, outside of like the blip in 2013 when Django Unchained came out, he really like had a massive Cuba Gooding effect, didn't he? <clears throat> Where his career just nosedived after winning an Oscar. Uh, yeah, I mean, he did stealth right afterwards as well, right? Yeah, absolutely, which we've covered on the pod before. <laughs> which you guys know. Um, um, so wait, he really had a problem with being in a car. Wasn't he also in Collateral, which is 98% <laughs> driving? He's the episode of Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee as well. <laughs> he worked through his, his car pain. His car phobia. <laughs> like, do you guys remember when Django Unchained came out and the idea of seeing a film in 2013 starring Jamie Foxx just seemed like, oh, that's a little odd. I wonder what happened yeah. to that guy. <gasps> yeah. I mean, didn't wasn't like a big thing... But he, like, because he and Katie Holmes were together for a period of time. And I think a part of the post-nup or pre-nup of Katie Holmes's relationship thingy was that she couldn't be in um, a relationship with a high-profile figure or something like that. So I think part of that was Jamie Foxx just kind of was like, well, I'm kind of getting serious with Katie Holmes. Because you know, like they were together for ages. Like they they were never like officially like public about it because Tom Cruise forbade it. Um, so that's, that's probably a big part of why we didn't see him. I think he was also concentrating on his music career after the late late noughties and stuff. Like he had that "Blame It on the Alcohol" song. Do you remember that with T Pain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with fucking um, Ron Howard and ron howard in the music video hanging out in the club with (laughs) (laughs) right after django unchained though he'd try and make kind of like a comeback for the spotlight and would do the amazing spider-man 2 which basically just killed his career for a second time what did you guys think of him in no way home i mean he's just playing completely new character now as well he's just like i'm gonna play it as jamie fox now yeah yeah people want I'm not some little rotten nerd in a movie no one saw. It doesn't matter. No one saw these movies anyway, so I'm not going to be blue anymore. (laughs) I um, enjoyed reading Jamie Foxx's Wikipedia page just to catch up on what he's up to because after that Project Power film on Netflix kind of like did okay, they greenlit a sitcom for him literally called Dad Stop Embarrassing Me that was cancelled by Netflix after six episodes. 
The man is just fucking wow. addicted to tanking his career. Oh, fuck. Do you remember he was in Baby Driver as well? Oh, no shit, he was. Yeah. Along- alongside Kevin Spacey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you guys were saying that Colin Farrell checked himself into rehab around this point as well? Uh, yeah. Immediately after finishing. <laughs> I remember that he was really like a tabloid sensation as like a bad boy back here. I and think he, he, he broke up Britney and Justin Timberlake, right? Really? No yeah. shit. That was, he is the, uh, the, uh, the inspiration of Crimea River, I guess. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. I had no idea. <laughs> My favorite um, Colin Farrell story from this time frame was that he was kicked out of first class on an airplane for just watching porn on his laptop the whole flight. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever see his sex tape? No. No. Oh my damn. god. He's like got the fucking daredevil like goatee no. shaped head. Does he have the bullseye on? and everything is in I don't think he's got car. the bullseye on from memory but like wow. there's like a POV shot of him going down on someone and he looks up and is just like oh for fuck's sake it's just <laughs> as good as breakfast lunch and fucking dinner it's <laughs> <laughs> like covered it's pretty pretty wild I mean I know we all poo poo looking at celebrity sex tapes these days but guys it was the mid noughties it was funny to do at that point Al <laughs> Yes. We've we've covered Colin Farrell a couple of times on this podcast. I think he is, as of Miami Vice, now neck and neck with LL Cool J in our rankings for the most new metal actor of all time. Four think, films each. What else is he in? So he's in Daredevil and Daredevil, Phone Booth, SWAT, SWAT and now Miami yeah. Vice. I think Ooh. we might have a tie on our hands for the upcoming Lookies Awards. Oh my god! <laughs> is he? Yeah. Wow. He really. I thought he was in Stealth, but that's Josh Duhamel as well, isn't it? Yeah, and Jamie Foxx. Lucas. You do it like this. <laughs> Okay, so as we talked about before, this film kicks off with Numb Encore by Jay-Z and Linkin Park. This album fucking kicks ass. I, like, I I still listen to this from time to time and just have such a fucking ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Would you say that Jay-Z-Linkin Park collaboration is, like, the... uh you know, new metal trying to go for prestige. This was their like make or break. We can be a legitimate genre moment, you know? If I'm you, guessing you guys have you watched the documentary on the making of it? We're gonna talk yeah, about yeah. that for sure. Oh yeah, yes, we, we are. <laughs> I feel like based on like watching that documentary as well, it feels like everyone in the room thinks that they're at the beginning of something that's already happened. They think they're literally creating new metal all over again and that this is going to be the point that it breaks to the mainstream. But if they anything have such big shit eating grins. Yeah. If anything, this is the nadir. Like this is a big album, and then uh, new metal as a, as a genre just completely drops off the map after this. The last uh, new metal number one would be "Bring Me to," uh, sorry, top ten would be "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence off the Daredevil soundtrack, and then it would only really appear as a blip for Collision Course before completely evaporating. Yeah, I mean, I think this was like a pretty crazy time. 
both artists' careers. Like at this point, Linkin Park had kind of just done Meteora, and as you said, new metal was hitting its peak, and this was definitely like the last time Jay Z was good. Technically, like the Black Album was his retirement album, and he said he was not going to rap anymore, which he didn't do for like three or four years. Ever since he's come back from that comeback, he's been just hot garbage the entire time. So you're saying new metal died and took Jay-Z with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. They both collapsed <laughs> under the weight of themselves. That's exactly wow. what we're saying. Um, uh, if you guys get a chance, you should really have a look at the documentary that was released as part of this. It's all available to watch on YouTube. You can watch mm. it pretty quickly. It's it's really funny to watch the first like opening five to ten minutes of this film, which is Chester Bennington and Mike Shinoda just like riffing. just riffing, preparing mm. for Jay Z to turn up, and to the point where they like build a channel within their mixing desk for the word poop, where Chester yeah, Bennington says poop, so. and then within ten seconds of Jay Z arriving from private jet to the studio. Chester Bennington shows him the poop channel and yeah. his like face is just incredible as he's just like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? What are these, like just realizing that he has to spend the next like nine hours with some dumbass white boys. I kind yeah. of got like a, a nice energy of just like, they were like, uh, you know, we've only got this limited amount of time. Jay-Z was like, look, I recorded the blueprint in like, two days like like we can do this like if it's if it's time we can just fucking do it we can make a good album i what i didn't like so i knew mike shinoda wrote all the songs but i didn't realize he did all like the engineering and stuff for it as well it was pretty cool just to i think meteora is the point that mike shinoda takes full control over lincoln park yeah and i feel like during this doco you can just see how genuinely impressed Jay-Z is by his talent. Yeah, like, totally. Because they would do They'd stuff. work together on Fort Minor, wouldn't they? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I, they they both were executive producers for that first Lupe Fiasco album. Uh, Linkin Park signed up to Rock Nation. Like, they were a part of... Uh, uh, what was Jay-Z's fucking touring company called as well? Like, how he had that Live roster... Nation? No. Live Nation or something? No, I don't, know. I don't know. I think it was Rock Nation, which was like yeah. his a and Like, it was the label management firm he had that did Rihanna and, uh, yeah, Linkin Park and, I don't know, something like fucking Portugal the Man or, you know, just like the yeah. big kind of uh, Grimes, fucking Grimes signed to Rock Nation. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's I mean, not about I think... awards, it's about empire building. That's right. <laughs> I think but it's I... funny, like, how much Linkin Park stayed in the picture despite us, you know, forgetting about them in a sense. Like, Minutes to Midnight, their like 2012, 2014 album was like still Huge. massive. Just yeah, mad- yeah. and like they like were able to stay in the picture so much that like I was watching Righteous Gemstones last week and like a choir of like singers are singing a Linkin Park song in that? Like, they stick around. Yeah, Yeah, man. I mean, they're, like, arguably one of the most popular bands of um, our generation. They've sold, like, zillions of albums. Remember when Chester Bennington died? Literally everybody was sad. 
Yeah, it was it was a it was a big deal. I'm going to out executive producer Phoebe Paradise on this. She was telling me an owl off mic that she didn't post her Spotify Wrapped for 2021 because it actually said that she was in the top two percent of Lincoln Park listeners throughout the entire world. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Get on you, Phoebes. Um. But no, I, I thought this like uh, this making of Doco was pretty cool. Like it was kind of cool to see them get real deep and musical. Like it, like how they talk about changing, transposing uh, in the end into a major key, and, and then doing all of the vocals for in the end in a major key for the H to the Izzo mashup. Yeah, like that was really fun to watch. Yeah. And it's really cool to see. Uh, jay-z have to just like speed up his rhymes in real time to match breaking the habit he's really is a pro like he knew what he was doing yeah Yeah. well there's that they're they're sitting there at one point talking about like how he should have the echo for one thing and he's like he's tapping out like the i want you know that many milliseconds for the one thing or whatever it is it's cool and then there's the great little live concert where no one knew that it was going to be lincoln park or jay-z they just told them to show up Part of me likes to imagine it was like uh, that Sher and Greg Allman tour where <laughs> they, like, it was it Sher fans and dirty bikers showing up and fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about supergroup collaborations that yeah. haven't stood the test of time? <laughs> Let's talk about Audio Slave, baby. So- what? I'm going to ask you guys, why are there so many Audio Slave songs on this soundtrack? This is it Audio even, Slave or Soundgarden? This, it's Audio, Audio Slave, Slave, and this yeah. isn't even the first time that Michael Mann would use Audio Slave. <clears throat> they turn up in Collateral, and so he's like, it wasn't just like a one-off for him. He's genuinely like... I love this band. <laughs> they are the most sexual band I can think of. And I'm going to put them on the soundtrack to these sex scenes. Like, I can't think of blander music than Audio Slave. They really are just... They were really ubiquitous in action movies for a bit. They're, they're the rough. color gray to me. Like, I was just... I remember even at the time when they came out, how just bizarre it was that, like, the rhythm section, the guitar section from Rage Against the Machine would just churn out something so generic. Yeah, you know, we were you know Velvet what? Revolver boys through and through. Where we yeah, started. absolutely. You Slither, baby. Country <laughs> band, baby. So the reason they were put together was because after Soundgarden broke up, uh, Chris Cornell was still contractually obliged to produce an album for Sony and it was the same deal with Rage Against the Machine, where they were still contractually obliged to produce an album for Sony. Wow. Uh, so Rick Rubin <laughs> legitimately was just like, well, I have an idea, and I don't think any of you are going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> what if you guys make what is essentially... Led uh, Zeppelin, but boring. <laughs> yeah. Led Zeppelin as covered by the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> yeah, and there's all these videos where they get like Chris Cornell the like rap killing in the name of and it is cringe as fuck. Oh, oh Jesus. Hey, just whilst we're still talking about Nam Encore, whilst yeah. it's still in my head, do you remember that year at the Grammys when they did it and 
like Jay Z and Linkin Park performed it live, and then it mashed up into Yesterday by the Beatles, oh, and Paul McCartney came out. Yeah. Of- <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Literally, all three of my interests combined: Jay Z, <laughs> Linkin Park, and the Beatles. <laughs> U Bowl's notorious letterboxed review for Miami Vice reads: "The coppers fuck to audio slave. They only fuck if they have an audio slave CD playing. Otherwise, they flaccid. This is how the boys of Miami do." <laughs> that's amazing he's right have you guys seen that recent video that's gone viral off uh tom morello's instagram story yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) wait which one it's so good it's it's literally just like private prisons were funded by the rothschilds in 1901 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now uh, rounding out our soundtrack segment is the dirty redheaded chaps stepchild of this sound child, maybe <laughs> the stepchild of this soundtrack. I got home at about five o'clock for us to record at five thirty, and I spent a good half hour trying to track down the reason why a this song exists and b why Michael Mann chose it for this film. We're talking about the In The Air Tonight cover by Nonpoint. metal band that even our most ardent fans have never heard of they're basically like light beer pod that's crazy and like pod are fucking like alcohol free corn (laughs) 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 what is so who who are non-point this is the first time i'm ever hearing of non-point well they basically have just ripped off pod's style (laughs) their whole shtick oh awesome They've just like they've somehow managed to parlay that. I mean, they're from Florida. That might have something to do with it into like getting their hands on the Miami Vice soundtrack. But it's just the most like cookie cutter cover, isn't it? It does nothing with the material. I, I honestly, I think as soon as this movie like. As soon as directed by Michael Mann came up, I just turned off my TV. Like just, <laughs> I didn't even think I heard the In the Air Tonight cover. I was just looking at their Wikipedia, and apparently they did a whole bunch of Michael Jackson covers after he died. So. Wow. <laughs> Fitting tribute. They're still putting out stuff, like now. Wow. 2019 was their last album. And that's wow. consistent. Like Since 1997... They have put out an album every two years, or even one year, like is a regular interval. I've never heard of this band before. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my favorite thing about the soundtrack is uh, Jan Hammer, who is famous for doing the, the music for the original Miami Vice. He wasn't asked back for this, so he just created his own soundtrack album to it and released it independently himself. That is it any good? It's 
it's kind of you know uh, his version of EDM. It's bad. It's not great. <laughs> but, you know, he just wanted to you know do EDM versions of all his classic hits from uh, from way back, and uh, it's a swing and a miss. But you know, props to him for trying. The bodies hit the floor. Oh. The bodies hit the floor. Oh. Chris, as our esteemed guest, and basically just overall piece of shit what possible nonsense are you going to come up with for this uh let's go three mojitos and the hoop fader half <laughs> expound oh, on yeah, that good, Chris. Good expand good on that i don't know what poop fader is they never explained it for us <laughs> all right i enjoyed i enjoyed this movie there was definitely a probably a 45 minute period where i was only looking <clears> at my phone but you know it um I'm a fan of Michael Mann's, you know, 2000s output. I like the the aesthetic of everything. I um, I uh, I enjoyed it. You know, it was a uh, it was uh, it was solid. I liked it. What about you, B Man? Uh, I'm gonna go with a, a soft three mojitos, th- three virgin mojitos hitting the floor. Um, I also like. It got to a point where I was just like unable to not look at my phone <laughs> like I, I think the minute when they came back i know the, the minute the the first sex scene with colin farrell i was like i think i'm out this is this is too much it like it paces around but like it is moody i love that every scene there always seems to be like a thunderstorm out in the distance uh there's a hypnotic quality to it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally, yeah. And that, there's that, that scene where they're under the bridge that's been lit by the floodlight, like the big blue neon floodlights. That like It looks so cool. Like This the film looks gorgeous, doesn't it? Like I've uh, never seen digital video look this good. Yeah. Uh, but it is a super confusing and mostly pretty boring movie. Like I, I found, at least. Like There's so many good actors and there were so many cool little ways this film could have gone, but it's just really kind of boring and take like considering how tasteful heat was, you know, like this is kind of the complete inverse where it's like, instead of, I don't know, instead of restraint, this is excess. Yeah, totally. I don't know. It's just kind of nothing really happens until the last 20 minutes. And then the movie just ends. That's my main complaint. But it looks cool. It's hypnotic, as you said, Chris. Stylish, incomprehensible, you know, behemoth. It's cool. I'm going to give this three and a half bodies hitting the floor. I really enjoy this movie. I think something we haven't really touched on too much, except at the start, is that this was really an attempt to take the new metal movie and make it a prestige film. Like we talked earlier in this podcast about how they tried turning Gothica into a pre- into a new metal prestige drama. This yeah. is like a prestige like thriller and I don't think it really works but it's got this hypnotic quality to it that like no one's really been able to like create before or since that Michael Mann does. Black Hat might be the closest to that but that's even more incomprehensible than this is. I reject that and uh, proposition uh, Play it only, on God, me. only God Forgives and Drive as the two movies that are close close to Michael Mann vision for uh, anything since. I think maybe more so than Black Hat. I yeah. think Nicholas Wayne Graffin 
puts this movie as an influence and all that shit, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think I read something about uh, Harmony Corinne's really into it as well. Yeah, this Spring Breakers is all over this movie. Totally. Did it? you guys watch The Beach Bomb? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess maybe one last thing we should talk about before we wrap up entirely is how it is kind of weird how serious this film was. Oh, did we already talk about Charlie? Yeah, we did. Fuck me, I'm an idiot. No, okay. no, you expand uh, on We're talking more. about like how Starsky and Hutch, you know, a similar show uh had like that fun camp sequel uh p- remake and this is just so glum and not that whilst that, my, that was Miami the... vice itself was like a pretty funny show like i remember there being comedic it was beats. like an alligator sidekick you know <clears throat> ben stiller turns up you know like yeah. i i think that was the biggest like thing that <clears throat> critics hated about the film and the the audiences hated about the film when it came out was just how goddamn self-serious this film mm. was and it's really been rehabilitated in film circles over the past 15 years to the point where people call this like not even a cult classic but a genuine classic yeah but it is so unbelievably self-serious it fucking like completely rejects its source material and takes itself fucking ludicrously serious yeah and um talking about taking themselves ludicrously serious chris where can we find you on the internet <laughs> got his ass um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on instagram as <clears throat> crass champion or the multiple man instagram um, yeah it's uh it's late guys i uh oh yeah it's like seven <laughs> looking forward to four time. hours of sleep and uh Oh, yeah, it's like 3.30 uh, in the morning over there. Monday that you guys are knee-deep in, you know? We should point out that Chris is recording live from New York City on a... (laughs) New York City. Live from New York City! (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys, what are we going out on? What do the boys in Miami do? Uh, Should we hit non-point? Oh, what about the uh, points of authority 99 problems? I love it. Yeah, let's do it. Tune in next week. We might do another episode. Patrol on the gap patrol. Foes who wanna make sure his cask is closed. Rap critics who say his money cash holes. He's from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? If you want to hold you, he's at the toes. You be celebrating the minute you was having dough. So fuck critics, kiss our whole asshole. You don't like the lyrics, you can press fast forward. Trunk is wrong, and the rear view mirror is the motherfucker.